Welcome to the show. Here's my dad. On this episode of the Infant Adoption Guide podcast, we talk about communicating with a birth mom before, during, and after placement. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Infant Adoption Guide Podcast. My name is Tim Elder and this is the podcast all about domestic infant adoption. Thank you for joining me today. As always, we have great guests on the show talking about all aspects of infant adoption and today is going to be another great show. Uh, This episode is a special one because it's sponsored by Bethany Christian Services. Bethany is a full-service Christian nonprofit adoption agency with locations in 36 states They've been helping families adopt since 1944. They've been around a long time, and they will help you create an adoption plan that's right for you and your family. And they'll be here to support you every step of the way because your journey doesn't end when your adoption is finalized. Bethany offers post-adoption support services for families, adoptive parents, and adoptees. So I invite you to go check out some adoption stories, learn how you can get started with Bethany at bethany.org forward slash infant adoption guide. Okay, so on the show today, we have a special guest, Kai Dukes. She is a private adoptions program manager for Bethany Christian Services in Atlanta. She has a master's degree in counseling and for years has worked with expectant moms and birth moms and adoptive families. And you'll see that in or hear that in her voice and in her in our conversation, how she talks and just shares her knowledge and wisdom with um, things that she's learned over the years. So we're going to talk about communicating and with birth mom and really expectant moms before placement and birth moms after placement. So all aspects of communication, we're going to go over right now with Kaya Dukes. Here you go. Okay. Well, hello and welcome to the show, Kai. How are you doing today? I'm fine, Tim. How are you? I'm doing great. I am doing great. Yeah, it's a good day and a good topic here. I'm so glad to have you on because, you know, communicating with a birth mom is what we're going to talk about today. And it comes up a lot. And I see it in our Facebook groups and other places with people emailing me, even from the website, about how to communicate, when to communicate, how often to communicate, you know, all those things. And then you have the different periods of time during the adoption, like before, during, and after placement. So, this just made me really want to do an episode like this and have somebody on like you with an expert who has dealt with many adoptive parents and birth parents and expected moms over the years that can really shed some light in your experience on, on how we can best communicate with uh, not just birth moms, but birth parents. So thank uh-huh. you for coming on the show and, and talking about this. I'm just going to jump right into the first question. What we're going to do is kind of break it up into three segments. One's about the pre-placement stuff. So what happens before a baby's placed with an adoptive family? And then one is like during a match. So maybe a match process would happen. You're matched with the expectant mom. Uh, It could be zero time. It could be you could have no match or she could make a decision. You could be right in the hospital or you could have months. So we can talk about that. And then at the end, we'll talk about what kind of communication that happens after placement so baby's placed with you and then you're i have ongoing communication with the birth mom sound good sounds great okay well let's talk about pre-placement so so when an adoptive parent first thinks about adoption they're thinking oh boy this open adoption thing is kind of scary what am i going to do if i have to talk to a expectant mom who's looking to make an adoption plan, I'm, I'm going to be so nervous if I have to be on the phone call or even meeting with them in person. So what are some of the most important things to remember to, to tell an adoptive family as they're considering this? Sure. So it, it really is a very nerve-wracking experience, even for me as a professional. It's almost like walking into a blind date. You don't really know what you're walking into until you have a chance to sit down at the table and and really start that connection. I think it, the, the, the interaction and the buildup and the preparation could look different if you're working with an agency versus perhaps doing an adoption on the, on the private side and there's no agency liaison to kind of bridge that gap. Either way, um, I think some really important things to remember, uh, whether it's a phone call or face-to-face, is language. Um, I think it's incredibly important to to be mindful of the type of language that we use when we're talking to expectant parents. So using terms such as expectant parent versus using the term birth parent, 
first parent implies that she's already, you know, solid on her adoption plan and she's released her child for adoption. And pre-birth, that's not necessarily the case. And so we want to be sensitive in just kind of the language that we use um, as we're talking to these expectant parents. And even us as professionals, sometimes we forget and use the term birth parent prematurely, but that's something to just be sensitive about as well just the the emotional aspect of it. That expectant parent is just as nervous as the adoptive family walking into that meeting. And so we often start with, if, as, a, as an agency worker being present, we often start um, sometimes with prayer if it's appropriate in that setting. Also with having the adoptive family share a little bit about themselves first and their their background, how they met, and the steps that kind of led them up to adoption as a way to transition the conversation and give that expectant parent a little bit of time to let her nerves settle, and then we do the introductions of the expectant parent and why she's choosing to release her child for adoption. Yeah, I like that, breaking the ice a little bit. That does, definitely helps. And uh, do you uh, or have you ever sat in on a first phone call and kind of helped break the ice, or do you usually oh, have? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. so whether it, typically at, at our agency, the visits are normally face-to-face. Mm-hmm. We'll occasionally do a phone call if it's a distance issue, if it's an out-of-state placement, but often, uh, more often it's a face-to-face visit either at our local Bethany office or at a neutral location such as a restaurant. But it is nice to have a worker, an agency worker present just to kind of guide the conversation. The best interactions, the best visits are when I can kind of be a fly on the wall and just allow for the connection to naturally happen between the expectant family and the adoptive family those are just the best. Like, I I'm, I don't have to say anything. They just have that natural connection, and the conversation flows smoothly. But if not, then that is definitely helpful to have an agency worker present to kind of guide the questions and keep the conversation flowing. Yeah, absolutely. I can see how that would be a huge help. Keep everybody's nerves down a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so say you had to be on a phone conversation. Like, my wife and I, we had three, we've adopted three times, and all three of them we've had initial phone conversations just with us and the either expectant mom or uh, both expectant mom and dad so who should lead that conversation would it be the hopeful that I'm mom or dad or you know somebody's got to say hi and start the right. start the conversation <laughs> off if it's just the, you yeah, and get that ball rolling <laughs> yeah would it be more comfortable if the hopeful that I'm mom led the conversation or what do you think i think I think personally it's helpful to have the women make that connection first. Mm-hmm. Um, just one woman, one mom sometimes to another. So having the adoptive mom lead the conversation just to start. But one thing that we are hearing more and more from our expectant parents on, on our end is they do want to hear more from the adoptive fathers. So although we want the adoptive mom to kind of start the conversation and you know gradually draw maybe some more information out of the, the expectant parent, the dad really, you know, we really have a desire to hear his perspective, his thoughts on adoption, why adoption is important to him, maybe his thoughts on the naming, if that's the topic of conversation. But the the expectant parents definitely want to hear from those dads as well. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it it's definitely helped in our situation anyway if, uh, for me to be involved in the conversation. Not, uh, I don't think I, on any one of them I actually led it, but yeah, it helps to share your voice and don't just be a, a guy sitting in the background listening to the whole conversation happen because yeah. guys aren't <laughs> typically very talkative so <laughs> it, it would be easy to sit there and not say anything the whole time right <laughs> well what are some good questions so say you're going into a, your first conversation as adoptive or hopefully adoptive parents and you're going to meet with an expectant mom or maybe both the mom and dad and what kind of questions or things should they focus on talking about Sure. Well, you know, sometimes this one meeting, this is this might be it in terms yeah. of contact, and so you do want to get some really good, helpful questions out there just in case there's no further contact or communication between both parties. Perhaps as gently as possible, asking the expectant parent for, I guess, understanding of why she's choosing to release her child for adoption, maybe what are some of her circumstances or backgrounds that may be a barrier to her parenting, what support system she has in place, so whether she chooses to parent her child or place her child for adoption, either way, it's a life-changing event. And so we, we would want to get a sense from that expectant parent who her support system is to, you know, once she has that baby in the hospital, she's 
really making her decision to release all over again. And at the time of discharge, we, we want somebody by her side to, to help walk her through those next steps. So that would be a, a really appropriate and sensitive question to ask um, an expectant parent. As much as is comfortable, as, as an expectant parent might be comfortable, it would be good to ask some questions about the expectant father if he's not present at the meeting, just to get a sense of what the full picture of this child might look like. Unfortunately, a lot of times our moms may not know a lot of background information about the expectant father, but if she could at least offer the adoptive family even a physical description or some interests or hobbies that he may have, that would help the adoptive family kind of paint the picture of what their adopted child may or you know may may grow up to look like or act like or some some interests that the child may develop. Another really good question is to get a sense of what expected mom desires in terms of future openness. So, and that could that could ebb and flow throughout the course of her pregnancy and really out the course of the child's life. She may start off at that meeting saying that she wants a semi-open plan, no visits, maybe just some letter and picture updates, but that could all definitely change once she delivers the child and as the child gets older, but at least establishing on the front end, you know, kind of a blueprint of how she desires the openness to look, what she desires the openness to look like as the child grows up. The hospital experience is another really big piece of the puzzle that we we try to mesh out as, as much as we possibly can. So what might the hospital experience look like for this young woman um, and for the adoptive family? Does she does the expectant mom want the baby with her immediately after birth, or does she want the adoptive mom to be present with her in the labor room, which is a, an amazing gift. If that happens, who, do, who who has the baby first? Is it the expected mom or is it the adoptive mom? What might she feel comfortable with? How much interaction the, the expected mom may want for the adoptive family to have at the hospital? Some of, some of our moms are perfectly fine and comfortable with having the adoptive family in the room, but occasionally they need a bit of space just to kind of process um, the grief and the decision that they're making to release their child for adoption. And so they may request for the family to be in a separate room or not even to be at the hospital at all until discharge day or until after the baby is born. So it's really helpful as much as possible to get a sense, again, of what that time in the hospital will look like. Again, it, it, nothing is ever concrete. I don't feel like openness is concrete at the time of the first visit, nor is the the details of the uh, the hospital plan, but it at least provides a blueprint so that everybody knows kind of what they're walking into, um, but also offers some flexibility too because this is a a huge life changing decision for this young woman. Yeah, and uh, when, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say <laughs> a, another really good topic um, is the name of the child. So every agency, I'm sure, or or, or attorney or whatever, may do this process a little bit different. We typically um, give the expected mom space to name the child, name her child as she's still the mother of that baby. She's always the mother of the baby, but she still has legal right to that child until the time of termination. And so we want to give her that that space to suggest some names that she may she may like for her child. The adoptive family, just like any other parent, I'm sure they have thoughts of. Um, names that are special to them that they would like to pass along to their adopted child. And so that meeting, having the conversation about the name of the child at the meeting, gets some of that sorted out and not the way before the baby is even born. And I've seen those go very smooth, and I've seen them kind of become a point of contention a little bit for adoptive family and birth families uh, when it comes to naming the child. Yeah, it's a big thing. Yeah, and you may not see eye to eye right away. What if you do, in your conversations with with her you may not agree with something you know or or when it comes down to the name or how what's going to go down at the hospital or something what's what's best for these hopeful adoptive families to do during that conversation if you don't agree necessarily so i think this part might be hard to hear but i think it's, it's it's often the best interest is to err on the side of the expectant parent because she is the legal guardian up until the time that she's not. And so if she decides that she would like um, the adoptive parents to not be present at the hospital until the time of discharge or not be present in labor and delivery room, I think we have to respect that because she, she is that child's mom 
um, until she, she's all, again, she's always mom, but she's that legal guardian until she hands that child over and, again, termination has happened. And so that is sometimes a really hard pill for adoptive families to, to swallow because you, you want to be a part of every part of this child's life from the time of active labor to the time of discharge, but sometimes it just doesn't always go that smoothly. And so I think we have to be sensitive to that. In terms of, let's say, the name, they don't, the families don't agree on the name. Again, that can, that can sometimes really pose some problems, but I think it's, it's incredibly important for the adoptive family to be honest if they don't have a liking to the name that the, the expectant mom has selected or, or whatever the case may be. Again, that may be hard for her to hear, but I, I would prefer if both parties are very honest walking into this journey versus making an agreement to something that they can't honor or they, you know, they have no intention on, on, of honoring throughout the course of the child's life. Absolutely. Same thing goes with openness. I think, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to over promise and under deliver and say, Oh yeah, we'll just do all this stuff. And then you don't really have any intention of doing that. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's horrible. And I've, unfortunately I've seen that in my, my years of working in the world of adoption, I've seen communication work great for both parties and both parties have honored, you know, the agreement that they, that they came to pre-birth but I've seen the the awful side of it where a family, like you said, they overpromise. It's almost like they just say whatever they need to say to get mm-hmm. the child, and then they they vanish or communication really drops down, and that is heartbreaking. That is absolutely heartbreaking. As the At the time, I was a pregnancy, full-time pregnancy counselor, and I would have to make a phone call to the expectant parents saying, I don't have a phone number for the adoptive family, or they've changed their address, and we don't have any, they didn't leave us a forwarding address to even request updates. That's just not, you just don't want to start a relationship with a lie. And I understand that some adoptive families are really, you know, they, they desire to grow their family through adoption, and they may have had lots of disappointments leading up to this match, but it's just not worth starting the child's life off, you know, with a lie. Because at some point, that child may grow up and ask the adoptive parents, well, did my birth mom ever, you know, want contact with me, or did she ever ask for visits or pictures? I would not want to be that adoptive parent to have to answer to my child. And so it's just it's just better to be very upfront and clear even before the child is born about what they can honor throughout the course of the child's life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're respecting the birth mom or the birth parents, and you're also respecting the child. I mean, that that's, mm-hmm. you're taking that relationship yeah. even out of the equation. Uh, that's just, yeah, like you said, it's heartbreaking. Uh, you know what really leads into that is... Open adoption, I don't know if, if, if everybody listening to this may not have heard this term, but open adoption contact agreements. So what they are is they some kind of agreement, usually in a written form, I think, is what you would put together and just list out, you know, here's what we agree on as far as contact going forward. So going, you know, after placement usually. Uh, what do you think about those co- open adoption contact agreements and should everyone consider putting one together with the expected mom and dad? Yeah, I think every, every family should definitely consider that. And every state kind of have a different, you know, rule or adoption code about that. Some states is legally binding and some it is not, but whether it's a legally binding uh, document or not, I think it's really helpful to have everything written down on paper at the point of being matched with a, a, an expectant parent. Emotions are high the excitement is there. Lots of things can be said or go unsaid because, the, you know, there's so much excitement wrapped up into the possibility of what could happen with this expectant parent. And so to have um, the wishes of the birth parent on paper, the wishes of the adoptive family on paper, I think is, is huge. And it, it's very helpful to be able to refer back to that document, you know, well after baby is born, the excitement has worn off and you're back to real life, just as a reminder of what what, every, what each party has agreed to. At Bethany here, we call it, a, well, at this particular branch, we call it a, a covenant agreement. Mm. And so it is It is really, we really take that quite seriously and even have like a covenant ceremony at the time of legal placement because um, we really do want the adoptive family to honor their word, whatever level of openness they agree to, whatever number of visits or letter and picture updates. We take that very, very seriously. Now, whether or not the birth parent um, follows through on her end, we still want our adoptive families to follow through with, with whatever they agreed to on the front end. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Because having it written down 
really puts it, I don't want to say in cement, but, you know, it just kind of uh, Mm -hmm. makes it a little more real. Yeah, you're not just talking about it. You're writing it down. So, yeah, kind of holds you accountable. I like that. I love the word covenant. That's good. It's good stuff. Um, So before we get away too much of this first conversation or the conversation you're having with an expectant parent before matching, what are some do's and don'ts specifically around the positive adoption language? You know, you definitely don't want to say, I'm so sad for you that you're giving up your baby, you know, those kinds of things. What yeah. what should they uh, do and don't to stay away from when communicating? Yeah, that, that language piece is, is so important. And I think that's the part I'll focus on. So saying I've heard adoptive fam- families just in their excitement, not not no malice behind it, but they would say something like, you know, I'm so excited to have our son or, you know, have our daughter. And, it, again, that just kind of puts the cart before the horse a little mm-hmm. bit and just implies that this is their baby. And adopt, expected mom may be very adoption-minded. She's not yet made the decision to release. Like, that action hasn't happened yet. And so I think being sensitive about that language, that's that's definitely a big don't. Again, families, I think when they say things like that, it's not – and, you know, it's not meant to be possessive. It's just in the moment of excitement. But that could definitely um, rub an expectant parent the wrong way. Um, even things like, you know, give your baby up for adoption or something like that. We don't, it's, it just sounds so callous to say, well, you've given your child up for adoption. And it's such a bigger, momentous decision that our expectant moms are making. And so we, we try to be sensitive about that, too, and say things like, decision to place your baby for adoption and release your baby for adoption. It just honors her decision and the magnitude of her decision a bit more. And I don't know if this is a do or a don't, but I definitely encourage families to sometimes tread a little lightly about the medical, the health background of the expectant parent. You know, hopefully they have some of that information before the pre-birth visit, but if not, that can be pretty delicate or even information about the expectant father um, in some cases, our expectant moms may not know anything about the expectant father. We have, you know, we serve women who have been, um, you know, a victim of sexual assault, or she may have been around multiple partners at the time of conception and may just genuinely not know who the father is. And so that can be a really sensitive area to touch if if the information has not already been shared. What do you do as an adopt or hopeful adoptive parent if you? get through that first conversation and you hang up the phone or you walk out of the room with them and you're just like feeling that it just went bad. (laughs) You're just like, Oh, I just don't, I just don't feel good about that. I mean, obviously it depends on who you're working with uh, in the agency or how you're going about your adoption. But uh, what would, I guess what would you do in your situation with Bethany? If you had a family walk out and go, I really don't think that conversation went well, what do we do? Well, Tim, I did not see this question coming at all, <laughs> but that's a perfect <laughs> question. Um, you know, you just have to, we would just encourage our families to be as honest as possible and not, settle is the wrong word, but not not choose to move forward just for the sake of the baby, but really it, it has to be God-led. And again, that's a, that is huge in what we do, as many placements as we do at this branch of Bethany a year, none of it is, is our own doing. We all think that this is, God makes connections and puts the right adoptive family with the right expectant family. And so if it's not a fit, it's not a fit. And so we would encourage our families to be honest about that and then give us maybe some concrete reasons why this expectant parent is not a right, the right fit for them, whether it's her health background, lack of prenatal care, drug exposure, whatever it may be, we would want to be able to give that expectant parent a, a bit of a sense of why this match is not going to move forward. And that will be a hard conversation to have on either side, even if the expectant parent said, this is not the right adoptive family for me. We will want her to be honest about it as well. And then it's up to us as the, the workers to have that really hard conversation, but it's a necessary conversation. So. Yeah, I think now's the time to do that, right, at, at the beginning. Yeah. You know, you don't want to get through just to – because you're excited to that this may be a, a an opportunity to adopt a child, you don't want to just push through it and get to the point where you're like, you still don't feel comfortable, you still don't like how the conversation went, you still don't feel good about the whole thing, and but you're just keep pushing through. Um, it's better to air all that out 
and be honest and open and 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 if it doesn't work like you said it, it doesn't work it doesn't mean you're never going to adopt to adopt it just yeah. you need to have the right situation and i totally agree with you i mean god puts these connections together and yeah you you gotta go with that yeah absolutely all right well let's move into more of a say you're matched oh you had that initial conversation and uh, maybe more than one and you're you're now matched that she feels good about you being the parents of her child and you feel good about the whole situation but the baby hasn't been born yet mm-hmm. what uh, are some important things to consider when keeping up with communication with her during that time sure um Sometimes there's, all you can do is wait. We're just waiting on the birth of the baby. Right. But if there is some space to uh, to further communication as we wait for active labor to begin, um, just being the support to the expectant mom, uh, I wouldn't say daily check-ins. I think that might be too much. Um, I've seen that happen, but that's that's unrealistic. Daily daily check-ins won't. It's not sustainable once that baby comes into the home of the adoptive family. So I would say if the adoptive family wants to check in with the birth mom or with the expectant mom, um, maybe once a week, or at least check in with the worker if there's an agency worker present to maybe check in once a week just to see how expectant mom is doing, if there's any progress with with active labor, um, if she has any needs, whether it's, you know, support in terms of meeting the family again, if they can answer any, any questions. So I think little things like that could be good as we wait for um, the baby to be born. But oftentimes there's not a whole lot to do. As a worker, what we've encouraged moms to do, if she hasn't done it already, is to prepare a letter to her child. So it, this, would, this is something that she would give to the adoptive family at the time of hospital discharge or if there's, a um, again, kind of a, a ceremony where she's releasing the child to the, the adoptive family, the letter just gives her a chance to explain why she's made the hard choice to release this child for adoption. I think it's especially helpful if it's a expectant mom who has multiple children and she's chosen to parent some and release others that can really provide a lot of answers to the adopted child as he or she grows up and to the adoptive parents and kind of explaining to this child um, you know, why birth mom reached the decision that she did, especially if she's not in the picture as the child grows up, the letter could really close some some um, communication or at least answer some questions for that adopted child as he or she grows up. Yeah, I really like that. That's a great idea. Do most of uh, the expectant moms at that point write that letter? Um, occasionally, more often the letter will come after the birth, and so several months will go by that the child has been placed with the adoptive family, life kind of goes back to normal. And then at that point, um, I've seen moms kind of more present of mind to really put their feelings on paper and then give the letter to us as the agency, and we will pass it on to the adoptive family. That's probably good. You know, you have so much crisis going on and emotions are high and everything. It it Mm -hmm. probably would be good to wait till after placement and kind of things get settled down. I would yeah. suggest, you know, in our three adoptions, we've had some short, some long match times. And I would I would agree with everything you said. And I would not bombard her with questions or communications. Um, and I would let her kind of lead a little bit even. Yeah. Like what kind yeah. of communication do you want? And there's so many different ways now. I mean, texting and email and phone calling. And, yeah. and that may be a good question even to ask during the initial conversation yeah. is what kind of communication how do you want to communicate yeah uh sometimes it just happens naturally they don't really know and then it just they start texting you and you text back mm-hmm. so but and that we normally try to be very clear about that on our covenant agreement like you said there are so many different ways to communicate not all are appropriate necessarily for the dynamic of birth parent and adoptive family and so we try to kind of sort out early on what the communication will look like. So if it's a phone number where they want to text back and forth, sometimes we'll encourage our adoptive families to create a Google number. And so it it gives, it protects their um, information a little bit until that relationship builds up or if they just want that, that uh, line of division, the Google number at least will provide them the ability to respond via text to the expectant parent. But 
again, protect their personal information a bit, or even creating a separate email address. So not use not using their personal email address, but creating something special specifically for um, communication back and forth with the with the birth parent. Yeah, that's a great tip, I think, because you you need to do that a little bit, like you said, until the relationship grows. You don't know where it's going to go or how far it's going to go yet. Having that just a little bit of space will help. So let's move forward to the point where, and I think we've kind of covered this a little bit already, but you get to the point where you're, you're matched and okay, uh, she's going to go to the hospital and have the baby. You, you hopefully had your plan in place where you've talked to her about how the whole hospital thing's going to go. Uh, but what are some important things to consider if you're there at the hospital and maybe things didn't go as planned or, you know, like you originally agreed that, uh, she wanted you in the, in the room and, uh, the helpful adoptive mom can cut the cord or something. But then as she actually got to the hospital, she's like, no, I don't want to do that. How, yeah. what kind of advice can you give these hopeful adoptive families listening to this? Like, how do you handle those things if they turn quick? Yeah, that's really hard because you, again, when we, on the front end, when that hospital plan is developed, um, we really try and help our families understand that it's just, again, it's just a, a blueprint. But the, the hospital experience is, is sometimes like a roller coaster. And so you have to really be willing to kind of go with the flow. Again, once she delivers that baby, at that point, she's making her decision all over again to release the child for adoption. And so it, the reality is there. It's really set in that this is a forever decision that she's making. So for our families, when we've had situations like that where expected mom changes her mind at the last moment for, for whatever reason, she's moving forward with the adoption plan, may not want them as involved as she initially indicated, we really try to communicate to the family. So it doesn't mean that she's saying no. It doesn't mean that she's changed her mind. We just need to give her space to, to get through this emotional journey. And it's enough to have a baby, period, whether you're parenting or releasing a child for adoption. <laughs> right. It is emotional and life-changing and it's hard. And so then when you have an audience, you know, of the adoptive family and the nurses and doctors, it can be, it can be very overwhelming, I'm sure, for a lot of our expectant moms. We also try and help families understand that sometimes the, the expected mom, she just needs some space to grieve. And so it's, if, they, if they are indeed at the hospital, we have adoptive families, only, only they're present, only the, the adoptive parents are present, not grandparents or you know, other relatives who may be in town, just out of respect for the birth parent and her grieving process. Again, the, the joy that the adoptive family it's feeling comes at the expense of another person, the expense of this young woman who is pushing a child out of her body and walking away. We are not wired to do that at all. And so we want to be sensitive to whatever emotional roller coaster she may be going through at that moment. Uh, well said. Yeah, well said. Our, in our experience, that's exactly right. And we, you got to give them space and mm-hmm. you got to respect them in all things. And that means even if they like, you know what, I want to have some time. I want the next four hours with this, with mm-hmm. my baby. You know, you got to respect that. You're letting them, like you said, grieve and, and deal with the whole process. And, and yeah, you may get nervous. Yeah, you may wonder if she's going to change her mind. You know, all those emotions are going to be you yeah. know, up and down for you. But you ultimately need to respect her and and the situation that she's in. Right. And you think about the kind of the what if, what if, as the adoptive family, you push and push and insist, you know, on not giving her that space or insist on seeing the child when she's not yet ready for that to happen. It, should she move forward with the adoption, you just don't want that bad blood mm-hmm. in between, you know, each party. And it also, I mean, it could definitely sway a mom to change her mind and releasing her child for adoption. So it can be, there, I've been at the hospital where you're just waiting and giving the birth mom space and letting her process and grieve, and you could be there for hours, or it could be, you know, you go home and come back the next day, and then she's ready. You just, our adoptive families just kind of have to go with the flow, and that's really hard. It's a really hard time, but leaning on one another, leaning on their agency worker if they have a worker present, and letting the worker kind of 
be the liaison between whatever the birth parent is feeling and the adoptive family can sometimes ease the ease the anxiety a little bit. And I think if if you can, you absolutely should have a social worker there because it's just yeah. something that is you're nobody is like you said wired to do this. You know, we're not nobody's in their comfort zone. It's yeah, it's awkward for everybody, but that social worker can be there to help smooth things over, bridge the gap, and calm people's nerves. It was so, so helpful. Absolutely. So I, highly, I would highly recommend that. What are uh, some do's and don'ts about the actual time, like in the hospital? So uh, one thing that comes up a lot is like gifts. And I know mm -hmm. it, it does come down to legal things. There's Every state has different adoption laws. So some allow mm -hmm. gifts, some don't allow gifts. So you, you have to know that. But let's just say gifts are allowed or you find out whatever you can do. What do you do as far as a, a hopeful adoptive parent? And you just want to express, you know, gratitude to them and mm -hmm. this amazing gift that, that they're they're giving you. Yeah. Um, we've seen uh, adoptive families, like flowers are all, always good. Anyone who's in the hospital needs flowers oh, to yeah. look at. So that's always just a, a sweet gesture to provide to an expectant or a birth mom at that point. A lot of our families do um, either like matching bracelets or matching lockets um, that may have a really sweet saying about um, maybe the relationship even between the women or the relationship with the mother and the child. And so something small like that would be appropriate. Occasionally we'll have adoptive parents provide like a written letter if they can pull it together enough to write something in that moment. Um, but typically what we see are, like I said, flowers or a necklace or a bracelet or something like that. Now you've even seen where the adoptive mom has something that matches. So the adoptive mom, the birth mom, and the child may have something all very similar to kind of connect them all through, throughout the journey. I would discourage families from giving very extravagant gifts. It just could look, well, again, every law, every state has different adoption laws and a dollar amount, you know, that might be set on what can be, what can be given, but um, it could just really be frowned upon a little bit. So something very simple, very tasteful. If anything, like I said, just a sweet gesture to let the expectant mom know that you care about her as well, not just about this baby and this gift that she's given, but you care about her as a person. Absolutely. Well said. Well, let's move into uh, after placement. So the baby's placed with the adoptive parents. What do's and don'ts can you give them about communicating with their child's birth mom, especially in that first few days, first few months after placement? I would be mindful of how much information is shared with family because, again, this is, this is really the child's story. And so there's some, there's some things that just may not need to be shared, and I think as the adoptive parents, you all set the tone for how the child will view his or her birth mom in the future, or how extended family might view the, the birth mom in the future, or even the birth father if he's in the picture. And so if the adoptive parents are telling the story of why, you know, mom has released the child for adoption in a very negative way, or let's say, again, she, she was in a situation where she had multiple partners and really didn't know who the father was, there's, there's some information that should be passed along to the child at a very age-appropriate time in that child's life, and it really should be framed in a way that honors her. No matter how she came to conceive a child, no matter what her background was, you want to honor the birth mom because, in a sense, you're honoring that child as well and how he or she came to existence. And so we have to be sensitive about how we present birth moms um, to that child as he or she grows up. I think you have to lean again on agreement that you hopefully had set up in pre-placement mm -hmm. is is honor that and we talked about that and don't over promise and under deliver but yeah. I think I think after placement at least for us after placement was hey how you doing or hey really just here's how the baby is here's how the baby's doing and that's really what all of our kids as birth moms wanted to know how are the babies doing? How are the baby growing? Are they being, uh, what, what's the next thing that they're doing? So mm -hmm. that's the kind of the most important communication, especially in the first few months um, after placement. They want to know, I think, my opinion is they want to know, bottom line is they made the right choice. They chose yeah. the right parents for their child. Their child's in the right spot. Absolutely. 
how does Bethany counsel Hopeful Adoptive Families about talking with the birth moms in this situation after placement? But I mean, you obviously have the, hopefully have the agreement there. and You just counsel them to, hey, stick to with the agreement or what else could you tell them? Well, from, from day one, so when families come to Bethany for the initial orientation to learn about the overall adoption program, the laws in the state of Georgia, the fees, et cetera, we start even at that point talking to families about the benefits of openness, about honoring their word, about not over, over-promising and under-delivering. And that, that sentiment is, is echoed throughout their entire process from orientation through their education classes. We spend um, an evening talking about openness and, again, the benefits of it, some of the pros and cons to openness. It, an open adoption plan, a very open adoption plan, may not be appropriate for every relationship on the front end, um, may not be what every expected mom wants, but there can be wonderful benefits to openness to the benefit of the child if if it's a good fit for birth parent or for the adoptive parent. Once they're matched, the conversation starts even more um, if we have a mom who is ready to select an adoptive family and she's communicating that she wants a very open adoption plan, she would like visits a few times out of the year, then we only look at adoptive families who fit that criteria. We don't want to make a match with a family who wants zero openness, a very closed adoption, with a mom who wants lots of openness. It just won't benefit either party. It won't be a fit, period. And so we counsel them, gosh, really from day one on through the time um, you know, they're matched. We sit down and put together the covenant agreement. Birth mom will sit with her pregnancy counselor and establish what she would like communication to look like in the future, and the, the adoptive family will do the same thing with their adoption specialist. The workers then come together to look at, does this fit? Are both parties kind of requesting the same thing? And if not, we kind of go back to the, the, the drawing board a little bit until we have a perfect fit. Again, so that the adoptive family can honor their agreement and that birth mom feels really good about the family um, that she selected in terms of how communication will go in the future. Yeah, that's great. You're setting the path early on and then it's easy to follow the path. If you know what the path is, yeah, we know what it looks like. So that's great. That's, that's absolutely great. Do you have any stories or examples of um, how communication has gone really well throughout the whole process between Hopeful adoptive families and expectant moms, mm-hmm. birth moms? I do. So, like I said, I've, I've seen communication be fantastic, and I've seen it just go absolutely haywire. But I think it, establishing the relationship and expectations early on is a, is a big predictor sometimes of how well communication will go in the future. So we've seen situations in the match meeting where um, the, the connection is just, it just seems like a natural fit between birth parent or expectant parent and the adoptive family. They both can kind of articulate clearly what their desires are in terms of all aspects of the adoption, from openness to the hospital to the name. It just works well, and communication is, is honored even after the baby is born. I think when, it, when those relationships start off where they're over-communicating and communicating in a way where, like, the agency worker is kind of being shoved out of the picture a little bit and communication is direct and, and too much, it can just it can be a disaster because, um, again, that's not necessarily something that's going to be sustainable. So if they start off well communicating what their desires are for future communication, if they kind of go at a slower pace and not do too much too soon, I think those are the times where I've seen communication really work well even after the baby is born. Yeah, I think that's a big tip is don't get pushy. <laughs> you don't just don't get let her kind of take the lead on communicating in our experience, you know, we've, especially after placement, you know, we've taken her lead on what kind of communication she wants, whether it be texting or whatever. We give her some time and then we just say, hey, here's what's going on. And we just let it go. You know, she may not always respond, but yeah. she definitely wants to know how her baby's doing. And they've told us that, you know, like, I might not always respond, but please continue to let me know how things are going. So just kind of take their lead on it and ask questions and just ask them how they're doing. You know, like mm-hmm. you said before, it's not just about the baby. It's not just about you and your family. It's about her. She's now really, and this is how we look at it anyway. They, our kids' birth parents, their birth families are part of our families now. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's just how we look at it and, and try to be as open and as open arm as possible. It's like, you are our family now and how do you want to, 
communicate the best and uh, how can we show our love uh, for you? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I think families also have to be kind of sensitive to trigger dates. And so mm-hmm. the, the birthday for the child or um, holidays, those are often really hard times of the year for expectant parents. And so if, if communication kind of falls off leading up to that, I think families have to, they have to be understanding that mom, it's not that birth mom doesn't care anymore or that she's too busy to check in on her child, but she may just be going through a really emotional phase at that moment and not ready to communicate. Absolutely. Great point. Yeah. Those trigger dates are definitely powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, their own birthdays, it could be mother's day. It could oh, be yeah, absolutely. Uh, Christmas. Yeah. All those points, um, be sensitive to, I guess is my tip. Be sensitive to them. What are some ways, and I know Bethany does this well, uh, what are some ways that hopeful adoptive parents can help their child's birth mom get some post-adoption support and communicate mm-hmm. that with them? You know, I, I think it's so important, and I, lots of times there may be birth moms that just don't know there's support even out there for them. So what kind yeah. of, what can we do as adoptive parents to help them if, if needed? I mean, not push anything on them, but offer something for them. Sure. Well, if if the family has worked with Bethany or another adoption agency, I think it's always good to encourage that expect that birth mom to circle back to her pregnancy counselor just for support, um, just for another person to talk to, or if there's a need for, um, you know, deeper counseling or clinical services, again, that, that would be a good point of contact to put her back in touch with Bethany or whatever child placement agency just so the worker can kind of take that burden off of the adoptive family, for lack of a better word, because um, it's not it's not always appropriate for the adoptive family to kind of take on that those those emotions and the feelings of their birth mom. That's our job as the as the agency workers to help her navigate through those emotions, and you know if necessary, connect her to the appropriate clinical team if she needs further support. For um, Expected moms who may not have gone through an agency to place her child for adoption. There are online sort uh, resources. One is called Birth Mom Buzz that we had talked about before. That it's just an amazing online community of moms who have indeed released their ch- child for adoption, and it's just a really good support system for moms who maybe didn't have a pregnancy counselor to walk alongside them through the adoption journey. Um, or even if even if she did and she wants something a little bit more anonymous, you know, a way to connect without having to look at other birth moms face-to-face, that online community is a really good first step for some of our moms. Yeah, birth, I love Birth Mom Buds. They are awesome. Uh, birthmombuds.com, and they actually have an annual uh, get-together, or in-person get-together, too. So they, they really do a good job of, of helping. I, one of the only organizations I know of that are – just all about supporting um, birth moms. So I think it's a great, great yeah. organization. Um, what other resources can you share with the folks as we wrap up here that help them communicate well with expectant moms and birth moms? I would say, you know, whenever possible, if they could sit across the table face-to-face with an expectant mom, I think that's, to me, that's so much better than trying to establish a relationship via text or email or, you know, over the phone with a phone call. And so that utilizing that, that space together and really starting to build a relationship and build a rapport, I think it can be huge as as each party builds communication from the time that, you know, that we're waiting on the baby to be born on through the birth of the child. I think that's a, that may not always be convenient because of distance or schedules or whatnot, but I think that that can't be understated, the benefit of that face-to-face um, visit. I totally agree. You know, that's helped us tremendously, you yeah. Yep. And I, I think, like you said before, if adoption professional you're working with should have resources, especially a, a social okay. worker that you can ask them. You may be listening to this whole thing and still have some questions in your head about what, what kind of communication would I do in this situation or that situation. I highly recommend going to your, your social worker that you're working with. And if you don't have one, look one up in your local area. I'm just, you know, almost every city has a adoption agency that has social workers. Okay. So, um, yeah, ask, get get questions answered because uh, that can only help you and especially help the expectant mom or birth mom. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up here. I, man, I could talk about this for a, lo- a lot longer, but. 
I appreciate all your time today. And uh, I just want to ask you, how can folks contact you if they have any uh, questions for you or want to learn more about Bethany? Sure. Yep. So um, families can go to our website, Bethany.org, and um, learn more about our pregnancy counseling program if they're a young woman who needs some pregnancy counseling support or a family interested in domestic or international adoption or even foster care. We serve a lot of different programs under the umbrella of Bethany. And so Bethany.org is our website. If they choose to, to get more information or if they are indeed in Georgia and they want information about Bethany um, Atlanta, they can email me directly at kdukes at bethany.org. Well, thank you so much. I mean, you've done a great job, Sharon. I can tell you've had a lot of experience with working with expectant moms and birth moms and adopted families over the years. And I continue to hope you continue to do your, your work for many years to come. And I know uh, anybody that does work with you uh, through Bethany is uh, blessed to be able to work with you. I've seen you on some of these videos that you guys produce. Oh, and, goodness. Oh. And you, <laughs> no, you do a great job. I mean, you guys really put some great videos together. And I'll put that link in the show notes here so you guys can see. You can see Kai uh, doing, her, doing her thing on the videos. <laughs> it's, oh, it's really good. Thanks, it Tim. is really good. <laughs> no, you do a great job. It is really good. So thank you again for joining me today. And uh, we will chat at you later thanks Kai. awesome thanks for having me all right i love this episode today awesome interview with kai dukes uh so many great tips and stories and advice um communication with birth moms and expecting moms such a big big topic very important so i encourage you if you have listened through all this and you're like you know what i still have some questions i highly encourage you if you're already working with a social worker ask them because you got to get this right. The communication is so important. You don't want to you don't want to mess it up, and you definitely want to respect birth moms and expectant moms. So all the highlights, everything we talked about today's show will be in the show notes at infantadoptionguide.com forward slash fifty seven. And if you want, I would really recommend you come over to my website infantadoptionguide.com forward slash welcome. And where you can get four free adoption ebooks. It's going to help you save time, money, and stress on your journey. And go through other podcast episodes in the blog. And there's a lot of great stuff to uh, listen to. We're up to episode 57 already on the podcast. So a lot of great episodes out there. So thanks for listening. Until next time, you are in my prayers as you go on the journey to build your family through infant adoption. God bless you. Thanks for listening to my dad.